and welcome to this episode of Inside the Benton. I'm your host, Hannah Avalos, and in this episode, we will explore Art Object Specimen, an exhibition that is closing in just about two weeks at the Benton Museum of Art at Pomona College. So, give this episode a listen, and then make sure you get to the museum to see the show. Art Object Specimen tests and explores the expectation that art museum spaces implicitly place on objects that they display. The exhibition calls into question the categories we use to talk about objects in the world. What objects are art? What objects are specimens? Does your coffee mug become art if it goes from your kitchen table into an art museum? What does it mean to be an object? Much like how the geological specimens in this show index moments in Earth's history, this episode serves as a record of what this exhibition captured. In this episode, you'll hear me talk first with Nortamari, class of 22, about the Qing Dynasty snuff bottles in the collection. And then from the geology department, you'll hear both from Demaya Curry, class of 2019, who is also the Benton's post-baccalaureate fellow, and geology professor Jade Star Lackey. They will both talk about the intersection of art and geology and what this exhibition meant to them. Before we get into this discussion with Nortamari, I thought I would tell you that the Qing Dynasty lasted from about 1644 to 1912. Let's get into it. Uh, my name is Noor and I'm a rising senior at Pomona. I'm an art history major and I guess this past summer I've been working as a RAISE fellow for the Benton, assisting um, Victoria with an exhibition that hopefully will will be um, shown in the, the spring of 2022 about optics and art. We're here to talk about snuff bottles and for the occasion of art object specimen. And Nora knows quite a bit about snuff bottles. So Nora, can you kind of just tell us what are snuff bottles? Yeah, I was first introduced to snuff bottles in January of 2020. So before the pandemic, when I was lucky enough to be at the Benton's um, just on site and actually see the snuff bottles and touch them. Essentially, snuff bottles are these really small bottles that are usually made out of porcelain, but they can also be made out of other materials such as amber, for example, or sometimes even made from diamond or even fruit seeds. The point of snuff bottles is to hold powdered tobacco, which is known as snuff, and they were made extensively during the Qing dynasty and were used largely among Chinese elites. The small and lightweight nature of snuff snuff bottles made it easy for Qing nobles to transport their snuff and they usually just put the bottle in their pocket and each of these bottles is usually adorned with a different design. So at the Benton we have snuff bottles with traditional Chinese motifs. We have some that are in the shape of different vegetables. Um, We have some that have European symbols on them which is meant to underscore trade routes that were happening between Europe and China at the time. So just a myriad of different designs on each of the small bottles. I'm fortunate enough to be on site this summer. And so I've gone down to Art Object Specimen and I spent so much time looking at them. They're all so different. Um, They're so small. And so like the level of details that's on them is really incredible. Um, I'm curious uh, about the Benton's collection specifically. Do you know how many snuff bottles we have? If I'm not mistaken, I want to say we have around 
400, maybe a little more than 400 bottles. But then we have at least 60 different equipment that help with the snuff bottles. So we have some funnels, we have snuff plates, which are, you know, half the size of snuff bottles. And the idea was you could put the snuff out of the bottle onto the plate. And then we also have different cases to protect the bottle itself that uh, Chinese nobles would then put into their pockets or into, you know, a bag that they were carrying. That's so that's so neat. Like there's like all of these different components that it comes like in a set, right? So would it they match like the bottle themselves or? I'm unsure just because we have so many snuff bottles and just such little um, for such little like funnels or plates. Mm. But we do have one plate that has a matching snuff bottle, which um, both show a small rooster on them. Who would have snuff bottles? Like what type of person would be using this? What type of person um, would purchase this or make this? At the time, during the Qing dynasty, snuff was considered to be uh, something valuable. So it was largely Qing elites or nobles that would have snuff. And the bottles itself, through their decoration, uh, even through like the medium of which the bottle was made, would be a sign of somebody's status. And so if we see, for example, one bottle we have in the collection is made out of amber, which is, you know, a semi-precious stone. And so just having a bottle made out of amber would be an indication of that person's wealth. So it was largely um, for wealth, for status, and also people who could use tobacco recreationally were doing it as, you know, for pleasure. Yeah, like people who kind of had the time and like leisure time. Interesting. So you spent a lot of time, though, from a distance looking at these snuff bottles. I'm curious if you are drawn to um, one or a couple of them. Like, which ones are your favorite and why? I mean, like I mentioned, there's 400 plus snuff bottles, but there are definitely some that uh, stuck that stood out to me. We have one bottle that's in the shape of um, a cob of corn. And I think I really liked that when I first saw it because I thought it was hilarious. We also have another snuff bottle that looks like cabbage for, for some reason. But there is one snuff bottle that I like especially, and we usually just call it like the pendant snuff bottle. And it's made out of shell and metal. So the front side of it is white, but then it's almost like welded with a metal on top that shows that it was probably part of a pendant. So whoever wore it would wear it around their neck. And I found that particularly interesting because most of the other bottles that we looked at are clearly meant to go in you know, somebody's like pocket, for example. And I think that that goes back to the question of who would use snuff bottles. And it's people who want to show off their wealth. If you have a snuff bottle around your neck, you know, you're blatantly showing that I can wear this, I can use snuff. Um, I am of a higher status, but I just think it's really interesting because it's one of the few bottles that's both shaped and used differently than the rest in the collection. Yeah, that's very interesting because it that kind of leads us to our next question. But the idea of having something that's functional, but also for aesthetics, but also for conveying a message of status. And then also the opulence of having it made of like shell and um, 
That's very interesting. But how do the snuff bottles fit into art object specimen, the show? Yeah, the point of art object specimen was to raise the question of essentially what is art? How do we differentiate art from object, um, object from specimen, art from specimen? And really, do we need to differentiate between them? So in general, all the artworks that we chose to exhibit in the exhibition raise this question. You know, from our moccasins to the cribbage board and even to the snuff bottles, each of these artworks question how functionality and art intersect. And I think this is exactly what the snuff bottles do. They're functional objects, like you mentioned, and so thereby they're object. But at the same time, they're adorned with these, you know, decorative pieces and like motifs, making them art. So I think the question, the exhibition at large tackles the question of how and why do we differentiate between art object and specimen and really whether as I mentioned, whether we need to differentiate between them. But I think the mix of functionality and aesthetics is really how snuff bottles pertain to the exhibition. And here is Demaya Curry, Pomona College class of 2019. So I'm Demaya Curry, that I was Pomona College class of 2019. I graduated with a degree in geology, and while I was a student at Pomona, I worked at the Pomona College, or was formerly known as the Pomona College Museum of Art, um, in a variety of roles. And then once I graduated, I worked as a postdoc um, at the museum, um, primarily helping the senior curator, Rebecca McGrew, on the Todd Gray exhibition, the Allison Sarr exhibition, and many others. And then currently now, I work um, in Riverside as a product writer at a mapping software company. So. That's a little bit about me. Awesome. So the occasion of this episode is kind of a, a deep dive into the geologic specimens that are in our object specimen at the Benton. And I'm kind of wondering if you could describe your role in that show, Art Object Specimen, and kind of what it was like to be part of that project. Definitely. Um, when I was working at the museum as a postdoc after I graduated, I was primarily working, as I said before, in the curatorial department helping to develop some of the exhibitions that are currently on view. And um, Victoria Sancho Lopez, the museum's director, uh, she knew that I was a geology major and that I had a real interest in kind of fusing my geology education with museums. And so in the beginning, my role with the art object specimen show was initially acting kind of as a liaison between the museum and the geology department. So in the very beginning, I set up a meeting for or where um, Victoria and I went and toured the geology department to kind of see what kind of specimens they had in their collection and kind of get some like points of inspiration about what we could possibly do in collaboration with them. And then once we had that initial tour, um, Victoria and I kind of talked about what we saw and we were able to develop, develop some ideas for how we could use some of the specimens in the show. So then my role kind of developed into selecting specimens um, from the geology department collection and um, building a story around them and figuring out how I could add them and incorporate them into the art object specimen show. And then once I was able to select objects and figure out kind of that story and their significance, I went on to writing labels. Um, yeah, so that was kind of a general explanation of my general role with with the show. 
Yeah. And for this episode, I'm also including an interview with Professor Lackey. And we discuss um, the idea of story and the stories that these specimens contain. And I had no idea about this way of looking at um, geologic specimens. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, what was the significance of the object that objects that you chose for this exhibition? Mm-hmm. And what type of story were you trying to tell with them? Yeah, um, I think one of the primary stories that I was trying to tell was making sure that visitors knew what the purpose of these specimens were. And within that explanation, giving them a way to kind of question why they were in an art museum. So I guess to kind of go more into that. So the specimens that I selected for the show were originally collected for scientific activities like research. And so my thought process was by displaying them or these objects in an art museum context, completely divorced from their original context, it will allow visitors to kind of explore and question how these objects kind of blur the the lines between art and specimen um, and question what it means for something to be a specimen or an object or an artwork. So that was the initial significance of why I selected certain specimens. And I also wanted to, in in a small part, in a small way, kind of expand our understanding of why institutions collect objects and kind of provide another perspective on what it means to have a collection. Because I think when you're going into an art show or an art museum, you're kind of thinking about it as you're going to be seeing objects that are from the museum's collection. And I feel like that certain that perspective kind of carries a certain definition about what those objects are. So when you place objects that are not from the museum and art museum's collection to the exhibition, it kind of makes you question certain things about how you see objects when you go into an institution or into a collection, into a museum. So that was kind of the, the framework that I had for the story I wanted these objects or these specimens to kind of tell. Yeah, because all of a sudden they're being looked at for form and exactly. and, and like ways that we would look at a painting. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, and I think in that process, you're really questioning how, why do we categorize things the way we categorize them? And does that change in categorization only occur because they're in a different place or were they already like intrinsically artworks, but before they weren't really seen that way? So it definitely allows you to have that that curiosity and that questioning um, to happen in that in that framework. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also finding that geology is just like so severely interdisciplinary as a major. I know that's kind of like, I like agree. A, a running joke, like with everything <laughs> at, at a liberal yeah. arts college, how interdisciplinary everything really is. But yeah. geology, um, I hadn't realized just how interdisciplinary it was. Definitely. So I'm, I'm curious, like, um, what was the most surprising overlap for you between geology and another area of study? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. yeah. I think for me, the most surprising overlap, which kind of relates to the show, was the overlap between geology and the visual arts. Um, And that became apparent for me when I was studying geology in college. So when you're in geology classes and you're going into the field, a large part of, I guess, the process of learning and um, exploring is drawing. So when we're like 
in the field with our field notebooks, looking at different rock faces or minerals. We're literally drawing the things that we see. So there's a huge visual arts aspect to geology that I never really realized before I went in, but that was a huge aspect of it. And it even goes further in, in terms of when you're studying geologic processes, a lot of the things that you study are things you can't really see. So like inside the earth, you can't really see what's happening inside the earth or inside of a, of a, of a volcano. So you really need like diagrams and visual aids to kind of help you better understand certain things. And I think that visual aspect of having drawn out diagrams of different processes is really important and making sure you're getting that full comprehension of the things that you learn in class. Wow. I never even like would have thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, so like illustration is a huge part of like science communication. That's like it's something I've really been able to like kind of explore and see like how like science illustrators, especially in the geologic realm, do their job and how important their job really is. Yeah. yeah. How cool. All right. And I guess that brings us to our last question, which is like, after this whole experience, um, what are some of the takeaways that you would like visitors to walk away with from seeing these geologic specimens in art object specimen? I think one of the major takeaways I hope visitors can I guess takeaway would be to like continue to question what they see when they go in a museum and question why certain objects are there and how those objects or those artworks or those specimens being there, what it says about the institution, of the things that the things that they collect and what they have in their collection. And I think another important takeaway to be would be that I think placement and dis and display are really important components of the art object specimen show and a big thing of the exhibition. So I think visitors should also take away that in question why display and placement of certain objects in, a, in an exhibition or in a collection, what that says about that museum or that collection or that object and question why the way they think about things are being influenced or how they're being influenced by how things are displayed or, or placed. And you're about to hear from geology professor Jade Star Lackey. And a little bit of context, this interview was recorded outside because of COVID-19 protocols. So that's why there's a little bit more background noise than normal. I am here outside with Professor Jade Star Lackey, and we're here to kind of talk about the project that is and was art object specimen and how it relates to um, the geology department here at Pomona College. So first things first, can you describe yourself a little bit, Professor Lackey? Uh, let's see, I am, I mean, if you look me up on paper, I study igneous rocks. I am uh, one of the associate professors in the geology department. Um, otherwise, you know, who am I as a uh, sort of teacher is, is often what people are sort of curious about. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to have a whimsical way of doing classes and uh, a lot of humor in there. Um, I think that sort of is uh, a little bit of my enchantment with the world that I study seeping through in, in classes and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I've been here at the college since uh, 2007. I was at... Uh, College of Worcester for a couple of years okay. in Ohio. And then um, before that, it was the University of Wisconsin for graduate school. I'm from Northern California. Uh, yes. It was a nice homecoming, kind of. Yeah, I did my research uh, when I was at Wisconsin. I did research in California uh, in this year in Nevada, trying to figure out more or less how uh, all the granites that make up Yosemite and Kings Canyon and and some of the uh, sort of iconic landscapes of this year, how those formed um, over the span of tens of millions of years. Um, but my advisor uh, at Wisconsin, 
probably didn't tap me to do that work yeah. um, for that reason. I just happened to like the idea that I could get back out to, out to California. Yeah. yeah. And so you've been here at the college for about... 14 years, about I guess, 14. is the what the math says. <laughs> yeah. doesn't feel like it. No. Um, I feel like I'm always getting younger, actually. Cool. Yeah. That's, that makes me excited. <laughs> I was wondering if you can describe your role in the geology department and what do you do, but also kind of what takes place in the geology department? Uh, it's a small department. I think a lot of people know that, um, you know, there are about four full-time faculty. My role, again, if, if you think about the classes that I work with, it's uh, what we would call the, the hard rock classes, the ones about sort of minerals uh, beyond introductory geology, the ones about sort of how minerals are formed and how to identify minerals. Um, also, the classes on how the Earth's igneous and metamorphic rocks, the stuff that's sort of hidden beneath a lot of the landscape, um, how those form. Um, I also run a lot of the laboratories, like our x-ray laboratories, where we figure out what composition rocks are, and, um, and then I'm involved in other sort of lab work. So um, I'd, I'd say on average, you'll find me somewhere between my office and the basement of the Edmonds building. Nice. Um, and so, I mean, all departments are always changing. Yeah. I think what we'd like to view our role as in the college is sort of helping people see their place in the in the greater world, be it if it's teaching a, an econ student in an intro class how to mindfully avoid being injured in an earthquake, or yeah. to inspire um, somebody who thought they wanted to be a major in one area to go on and study climate change and, and maybe be sort of at the forefront of how we understand climate change, what to do as a response. So, yeah, it's a lot of, I think we try to inspire you know, that physics, chemistry, and math don't just have to be in their own realms, but they yeah. actually apply to sort of teasing apart our planet's history. Yeah, and geology, especially after, like, talking with you, it seems like an insanely interdisciplinary major um, and, like, field of study even, even with, like, how you study it. And, like, we're sitting here and, like, the the quad at like the studio art building and there's like geological specimens that you've brought to campus out here and I have friends who've gone through the program and uh drawing is like pretty pertinent and like uh it comes in handy um and so that kind of like leads me to wonder about um how is art object specimen an exhibition on view at the Benton um an extension of kind of these goals that the geology department has yeah it we're, I think geology, we're always looking for ways to bring our excitement to other kind of realms. If it's having um, you know, the rocks that are around us be interesting um, stories about Earth history and evolution and, and things like that, it's, it's the, um, the opportunities to say, hey, you know, when I have a student get really excited about sketching some texture they found in a rock, mm-hmm. I often say, wow, I'd love to share that with the rest of the world. Um, you know, if it's a moment of sort of crystals that interlocked some yeah. hundred million years ago and you get a, a giggle out of a student in the igneous petrology class. And so you think, well, we could you know, enlarge those as posters or, or sort of, uh, you know, decorate the building. But, but sometimes stories are um, better told when it's different sort of perspectives. So yeah. when the art department was looking for kind of interesting information we uh, 
volunteered ourselves and really said, hey, you know, come look at the stacks of minerals that we have from 100 years in geology and tell us what's interesting to you yeah. without us sort of like tainting the view with clinical scientific yeah. stuff. Like what would a museum yeah. staff have to say about these? They might look at the colors yeah. and, and you know, forget about the silly names on cards that are this mineral or that mineral. Um, yeah. And with those discussions, I found it was nice because I started to think about maybe how I communicate things so simple as how the earth have rocks that have lots of stories of movement in them, mm. even though they're stationary or they're fixed. Um, the, the earth is constantly sort of restlessly moving. It's, it's just sort of, uh, you have to be patient and yeah. look at it. Um, so the, the work with Art Object Specimen was sort of new, fresh perspectives. Um, uh, a geology student that had worked in the department who had um, sort of been interested in museum work to my courage and came to Pomona um, early on as a HAPS student, high achievement program. So she was actually out in the Mojave Desert with me looking at basaltic rocks long before she'd actually taken her first class at Pomona. Um, and so I sort of got to meet with her for you know four years of essentially her geologic experience, but as she started working with the Benton, she would bring interesting wow. sort of questions to me that were sort of filtered through her training on both sort of the geologic side and on sort of the art side and sort of thinking about installations and yeah. color and uh, kind of the collective yeah. of things. I first met Demaya um, actually at the Getty because she was working at the Natural History Museum this summer that I was working at the Getty, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I was working either at Scripps or at the Getty, but I'm pretty sure it was. Anyway, but yeah, she's like super interesting and like I, she's work. Do you know where she's doing right now? I think she's working with uh, the outfit that runs uh, geographic information systems. Yeah. As yeah, which is super interesting to see how like that skill set kind of like translates. Yeah, I've seen some beautiful artwork done with Geo Yeah, sort of taking these huge data sets and then trying to make them uh, appeal more to people's senses than logical, sort of clinical representation of yeah. uh, patterns or crises or environmental problems. Yeah, I'm. I'm now curious about what were some of the like exciting or unanticipated outcomes of this collaboration between the Benton Museum of Art and the geology department? Oh, wow. For me, I think maybe it was just personally, I, I found it a little more liberating that I would get a call from somebody to maybe show up on camera and talk about the geologic history of an area. And I realized it helped, um, the whole discussion helped me be a little more flexible in how I connect with people. Um, if it's you know, just the notion of rocks as sort of stories yeah. and rocks as verbs as opposed to just these mm. static things. Um, I think it was a good ex example of sort of helping me sort of train my liberal arts mind a little more to be able to kind of reach out yeah. uh, and, and sort of um, be a little more creative in, in sort of how I share stories. Yeah. Um, the profundity of like a weathering profile rocks and how that's sort of time and yeah. energy and solar energy sort of tearing 
tearing away at the crust of the earth or something. So now I'm curious about um, what's exactly in the show from the geology department. What are some of the objects and if you have like a story or two about them? Yeah, uh, th- there are a few. Um, most of the samples were sort of uh, compact rocks that sort of could uh, tell a story. One is a, an array of these beautiful tectite uh, glasses that were basically ejected from a massive meteorite impact in, I believe it was Thailand, or tens of millions of, year, of years ago. They were strewn all over the Pacific and, and sort of the, island nations around in Australia. There's beautiful glass beads that are black. Some of them are shaped like pancakes, some of them are wow. teardrops. Um, but what's so kind of fascinating to me is that they look really good as an assemblage um, and sort of spark the imagination with this striking color contrast of the walls and the museum. Um, but, but they also are an incredible sort of cataclysmic or ca- catastrophic event Yeah. Uh, with vapor heating of, of Earth's rocks to um, well in excess of the, um, 2,000 degrees centigrade wow. instantly. And so these things are polished because they traveled through the air as liquid rock and were scattered over thousands of square miles. Um, and we have them, and they've just sat in drawers for years. But, but what I liked about sort of seeing them in the museum was that they kind of um, they had this new connection to each other space and it's just like crazy to see them in the same space because like it it makes you wonder like what are things that i kind of overlook that are like really beautiful um and kind of randomly arriving it's yeah it's it's really kind of the the journey that they have of course you know the the discoveries and sort of the gathering of them and sort of you know who who knows sort of how long they sat in different places, but you know, they, they basically capture this instant uh, Earth history. Um, but maybe it is that, that the journey to sort of come here, to sort of collection, yeah. some alum gave them to the moment long ago, um, to, to sort of get them kind of sparking imagination again. I really like they're, they're sort of, they've been kind of stagnant and cold in the drawers and now maybe people can imagine them sort of glowing and flying through the atmosphere. Yeah. There's another rock that's a marble from uh, out by Riverside. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a quarry that was sort of the source of a lot of the lime, that, uh, the limestone and marble that was ground up and CO2 was driven off of it to build Los Angeles, the wow. downtown buildings. And wow. When you think about climate change and sort of how this one rock we have here is, is um, kind of a, representing a, a quarry that has long been basically mined to the extent that it could produce any rock still. They, they, they stripped it dry. Um, um, but this one rock is sort of left over as, as this beautiful, beautiful blue marble um, with interesting sparkly graphite in it. It's, it's sort of a story of carbon and crystals sort of capturing a little bit of life buried in the rock record Um, and also our struggles with uh, climate change with the fact that we are pushing the carbon dioxide that was in that marble for 100 million years out into the atmosphere in the name of progress yeah Um, interesting 
So yeah, there there is always a wave of sort of trying to connect, I guess, with rocks. I think that's been one of the things that uh, the collaboration has been really useful for, for me. Yeah, is to try and help different people sort of realize that they can connect to stories in the planet yeah. that are held in rocks. But the thing about like a geological specimen is that like it exists and like would still like yes humans affect how they're they were like they they can humans can affect what they result in being but without us like the earth will still continue to make things yeah i think that's that's one of the things that's really profound is that we're we're wrapped up in the rock record life is buried in the in the record of the rocks tectonics carries carbon from life deep into the earth's mantle yeah. Diamonds often have isotopic records that they were formed from organic uh, sort of life yeah. based on that. So we really are stirred into the deepest workings of the planets in many regards. Yeah, um, and it, and the planet will continue to operate with or without us as the recognizable form of life. Yeah, that's very comforting, honestly. It, it gives me hope that you know, even if it's if, we don't inherit the earth and some good sort of compromise between the planet and the carbon yeah. will happen. And that kind of um, leads me to like wonder if you have any kind of closing thoughts. I know that the show is now coming to like a close, but I think the record of everything that kind of it discussed will kind of exist. But if you have any kind of closing thoughts. Yeah. Um, again, it, for me, it's been eye-opening and sort of makes me want to share more of the kind of these interesting moments and sort of my discoveries through my research or questions that student, uh, students will ask about uh, essentially the, the rock record and, and sort of how it can be used to inspire us a little more. Yeah. Um, maybe if it's not in a museum, but it's, you know, somebody taking in a landscape and sort of trying to visualize a little more. Yeah. Um, how you know, process is actually or you know, coming into the geology department and sort of looking at some interesting specimens we have, but seeing art in them, I guess, or yeah. finding ways to um, think about how to arrange uh, arrange things a little differently than we commonly do, especially in um, some of our introductory classes. Arranging um, topics in ways that'll spark a little more uh, emotion, I guess. Yeah. As, as people and say, hey, that's a that's a rock that's shaped like a heart. Why? Yeah. You know, but we can say all kinds of things about the cooling rate and fracture patterns and stuff like that. Yeah. But maybe savor that moment of um, kind of relatability a little more. How do how, how can people relate to uh, fossils in a piece of limestone or something? So. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Anna. And that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week. This episode was produced by Hannah Avalos, Justine Bay Baez, Caroline Eastburn, Aaron Hogan, and Victoria Sancho-Lobos. This episode was recorded by Hannah Avalos. This episode was written by Hannah Avalos and Victoria Sancho-Lobos. This episode was edited by Hannah Avalos. A very special thanks to Norris Amari, Pomona College Class of 2022. 
Demaya Curry, Pomona College Class of 2019, and geology professor Jade Starlackey for their feature in this episode. Additionally, I would love to thank Xavier Williams, Pomona College Class of 22, for producing this original piece of music for Inside the Benton. 